Hello, and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Oh, and today we're talking about the devil you know. This is an episode where the liars are all dealing with some very familiar devils in the form of brothers and sisters and patterns of behavior. Uh, it's also an episode that has some great foreshadowing for uh, future plot points in the series. Uh, and it is an episode where I absolutely love Hannah Marin. But what else is new, really, you know? Uh, yeah, this, I think, is the best episode of season two so far. I feel like this is the kind of episode that we don't really get as much as the series progresses. This is basically a processing the trauma episode, or as close as PLL gets to that. Um, we're dealing with the fallout of this whole Ian situation, and uh, it's it's really, really compelling. And... Any episode of PLL that includes a funeral, you know, is going to have some really great funeral looks. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. It, this has some, some fabulous funeral looks for sure. Yes. We'll have a chance to discuss their funeral runway later. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so we open on the liars sitting at a table in the courtyard as they look at a picture of Ian's suicide note on Emily's tablet. Hannah, having snapped a picture and sent it to Emily before they called the police. Emily is a bit on her own here, feeling like this solution doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would Ian kill himself right before he was about to run off with Melissa? But the other liars are not interested in any more speculation, as they're focusing on being happy the case is closed. Allie's murderer is dead, and they're no longer people of interest. Now, everyone will know they were telling the truth. Emily points out that Ian is gone, but A isn't, and Spencer Hastings, of all people, acts annoyed and says they should slay one dragon at a time. Yeah, I love the Emily Spencer conflict in this episode. It feels like they're kind of they've kind of like switched places a little bit. I think mm -hmm. this is a fantastic Emily episode. Um, I love when she gets to have like be have a more proactive role because I feel like that that dwindled unfortunately as as her character went on in the series uh and i really feel like this is the first episode where we're getting the the you know the hints of uh the spencer that we'll see in season three who talks about you know she tried not to be spencer hastings but nobody else showed up for the job and uh, how emily will really become the leader in spencer's absence yes i have a reference later in my notes to that same that same line about uh, Spencer wanting to resign being Spencer Hastings, but life really won't won't let her. Um, and yeah, I, I also like that this episode really showcases that Emily's motivation for solving this mystery is a little bit different than the motivation of a lot of the other liars. Emily really wants justice for Allison in a way uh, that is different from the way that the other liars want it. Emily wants this closure for like her first love, uh, whereas the other liars tend to have um, and not to say that Emily's feelings aren't about Allison aren't complicated, because certainly they are, but I think that her drive contains a lot more pure love uh, than what some of the other liars are working with at this point in the series. Oh, I totally agree. And that for Spencer, this whole situation has been complicated by the fact that Ian um, was part of her family, you know, and was living in her home. 
and uh, and that really sort of impacts her motivations and all of this as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Garrett Reynolds also is over to do his officer smiley routine. Uh, he's just here to return some evidence they took from the field hockey office and to say he's sorry the liars had to be the ones to find Ian. Spencer, who's being super weird right now, corrects him, Melissa found Ian. Spencer's basically acting like she maybe killed Ian and is trying to divert <laughs> suspicion while also acting really suspicious. But Garrett drops a bomb that Ian had been dead for at least a week and says to give his regards to the Hastings family. Ah, oh, this guy. Um, but the liars are thrown by this time frame as they believed he was alive and texting Melissa and maybe living in Jason's house. Nay, Emily, who is just way more engaged in the mystery than usual this week, theorizes it was probably A. And this brings up a bunch of new questions about what does A want? Spencer still can't be brought to really care. He was scum. Now he's dead scum. Hannah just wants to enjoy her life again. They all get up to leave and Spencer hangs back with Emily. Uh, Emily's still trying to sell her on, you know, the idea that there's more to this. And Spencer is trying to sell Emily on the idea of just having a new day where they don't have to look over their shoulders all the time. Yeah. And there's an interesting distinction here where Emily talks about being nervous because A is involved and Spencer says that Ian made her more nervous than A which I feel like could be a little sort of Spencer is a clue here if you wanted to read it that way. Um, but also just speaks to how incredibly threatened by Ian Spencer felt and how she's, she's dealing with the fallout of this trauma. I think it's, it's hitting her harder than the other liars in ways that I don't think she even quite realizes yet. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would definitely, definitely agree with that. This is actually a really long post credit scene because there's still another thing that has yet to happen, which is Emily stays at the table reading the suicide note. When she gets up to throw her coffee cup away, uh, she sees that the trash bin is full of newspapers with Allie's face on the front page above the headline murder solved, uh, which I have to say, uh, it's amazing that everyone in Rosewood is still reading the physical newspapers and then throwing them into the trash. Particularly interesting that they're not recycling them because this newspaper is full of recycled headlines. All of the headlines on it, other than Murder Solved, are exactly the same as the headlines from the newspaper in the pilot uh, where there was Allison's picture and it said still missing. Uh, recycling center is opening on the north side. Uh, a sports team has had a win that has snapped a losing streak. There's some retirement investment advice. Uh, truly in Rosewood, it is the same story every day. Also prop work, lazy. Um, oh, another note. It looks like the date on this newspaper might just be November 23rd. So we may have also incidentally identified a second endless november <laughs> but as emily's looking at these newspapers she gets an a text that hints about some of ian's suicide note looking familiar yeah i like that a is giving them a little nudge here um and it's funny that the the you know the recycled headlines are about a headline about recycling um after credits we go to the house of hastings where melissa is sitting Sadly and silently on the couch, uh, Veronica is fielding calls from neighbors and reporters. Everything has been very chaotic. Um, <laughs> the phone the phone rings and Spencer, assuming that it's a reporter, answers it and says, listen, you bottom feeding vultures, stop sucking the life out of my family. Oh, sorry, grandma. Um, great bit of comedy there from Spencer. 
uh, Veronica goes to take the call and um, Peter Hastings comes in and Veronica and Peter, you know, just another day in the Hastings house, they're going to argue out of about what to do with this awkwardness of this dead body that they have on their hands because Ian's family wants nothing to do with him. Spencer, in fact, argues in favor of a funeral, saying that she thinks that Melissa needs it. Um, he, uh, but Peter and Veronica seem kind of stunned that Spencer would advocate for this. Of course, we know that Spencer is feeling a lot of residual guilt about the uh, engagement ring thing and just probably general um, Ian-related mishaps. Also possibly feeling some guilt about the fact that she might have been the one to kill Allison and Ian is the one who is uh, being blamed for it uh, after his death. Yes, yes. Well, also, I think that um, Spencer is feeling some guilt because there's been a role reversal here. Now, Spencer is in the role that Melissa normally takes of talking about her emotionally vulnerable sister as if she's not even in the room. And I think that Spencer knows, like, like the reason that Spencer has so much empathy for Melissa in this episode is because Spencer knows exactly how it feels when the family treats you like that. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that that's definitely in play as well yeah this is like the one episode where um where spencer is is like the favorite child yeah it's sad but yes that's that's definitely true um the the tables have turned her position has changed a little bit uh it'll change back before the episode is over i'm sure um but also props to peter for not just suggesting uh you know his idea was that they could just turn ian over to the county and let him be buried in some kind of potter's field situation um I mean, that's at least a little bit better than just having him buried in the backyard along with, like, basically everyone else who ever dies in this town. <laughs> so, you know, it seems harsh, but it's really a step up. It is. It is. I also just um, was remembering that Peter, one of my favorite Peter lines, which must be coming because it's related to this whole storyline, is when he says something about, you know, it doesn't matter now that Ian Thomas is in a grave I paid for, which is, I just love that line because it's so everything about everything you need to know about Peter Hastings is wrapped up in that line. And I feel like he's saying it while he's burning evidence um, and like drinking a scotch. And it's like, Oh, Peter Hastings never change. But also, You're terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is some, that and like the thing that really bugs him about ian is not that he was like a pedophile who preyed on both of his daughters you know not that he was like a, a bad guy and a creep and maybe harmed allison the thing that really gets peter's goat is that he had to pay for that grave like oh oh that three thousand dollars was just you know he, he, he was planning on buying Jessica a nice necklace, and now right. he's going to have to buy her a slightly less nice necklace. <laughs> it's very inconvenient. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, um, do, you, do you want me to take us to this, uh, since you had the very long intro, do you want me to take us to this Marin house? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we go over to the Marin house where um, Hannah and Caleb are having a summit here. Uh, Caleb is sitting and, and Hannah is sort of awkwardly offering him uh, food and drink that the is that they don't have in the Marin house. No ice and no food. Uh, Caleb is here because he wanted to see how Hannah is holding up. Hannah uh, says, you know, that she's okay, but she seems a little shaken. 
she asks if Caleb has ever seen a dead body, and he has. I really love here that we the liars are getting to like deal with the trauma of seeing a dead body. You know, um, this is again not something that we'll get as the series goes on when they're just sort of jumping from trauma to trauma. Uh, it seems like they, they might say more or Caleb might leave, but then Ashley arrives. She's very upset because she couldn't reach Hannah. And um, as Hannah tries to ask her, like, what's wrong, Ashley kind of starts unraveling. They go off to the side and have this conversation um, where Ashley, near tears, says that she is always afraid that something might happen to Hannah. I love the detail where she says that she memorizes Hannah's outfit every time Hannah leaves the house. Hannah, you know, utters the immortal last words here. It's over and we can finally breathe again, uh, trying to reassure her mother. Caleb, overhearing this tender moment, lets himself out. Uh, and we kind of end on this note of of Hannah trying to, to be comforting to her mom. Yeah, I, I love this conversation between the two of them. Um, Ashley's fear and terror for her daughter is so heartbreaking, especially... Mm-hmm. Because we've never seen it control or influencing her parenting of Hannah before. Um, So really, like, that's very impressive. And I think it's great foreshadowing uh, for how during Hannah's time in the dollhouse, like, Hannah actually being kidnapped, Ashley's, like, we're talking about here coming true, actually puts Ashley in the hospital. Um, Yeah. So I, I think that that's a really nice uh really nice groundwork that they're laying for something that's not going to happen for many seasons yet um and also despite the show having a severe anti-therapy bias i think ashley should talk to someone to help her process this anxiety i agree i agree and i also love i i know i said this but i want to expand on it like why i love that detail of her talking about how she memorizes hannah's outfit is a it's like fashion is like the love language of the Marin women, you know? Um, so, so, and Hannah, we know has basically a photographic memory when it comes to clothes. So that's a great little detail, but also I feel like it really fits with Ashley as a, as a pretty proactive person that her, you know, how she would, part of how she would be dealing with this anxiety is by uh, doing something that she feels like might be able to help her if something does happen to Hannah true true also if hannah ever tried to bounce out that door wearing a yellow tank top ashley would just be like nope nope all the no um which which is wise i appreciate that oh boy so in oh i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) that was not intentional Uh uh you're altruistic uh To, to take that mirror and say no. Uh, in Prezra's college office, Arya's adult male former English teacher is rapturously listening to his underage girlfriend, who he's stalking in order to write a two, true crime book, describe the traumatic experience of discovering Ian's body. He comforts her by running his hands up the bare skin of her legs, <laughs> telling her it will take a long time to get over. Just then, Jackie Molina arrives at his office door, and Presria startle apart guiltily. Jackie recognizes Arya from how baddie she acted when Byron hosted the faculty mixer, and Presria uh, introduces Arya as his former student, and everything is super awkward. Um, Jackie calls him Z, 
and has some paltry excuse for stopping by, like the psych department no longer needs his lecture on Friday, uh, you know, which leaves him to basically argue with Aria about the manner in which she was introduced and the expiration date on college nicknames like Z versus childhood nicknames like Pookie Bear. They agree to try and warm people up to their relationship slowly. These two are just complete idiots in this episode. Like, this is, I mean, I don't know that there is, like, a good way that they could, you know, come out about their relationship here. But they are so, like, every idea that they have in this episode is so wrongheaded. Well, I feel like... Clearly, what two characters who are in a secret relationship, who wish to no longer be in a secret relationship, need to do is they need to act like they're just starting the relationship. Like, if he hugged her in the cemetery later, I feel like that would actually have been, like, a move towards, like, pretending that this thing is just starting between them. But, I mean, these two are just dingbats uh, and, like not very smart predators so it, it's just it's gonna be what it's gonna be weirdly they should be taking a note from caitlin and jeremy over on the perfectionists um of all characters yeah yeah like when those characters are the characters who are behaving smarter than you you really need to examine your life choices oh it's so true it's so true um, Emily is over at the somewhat frighteningly named Speed Demon Express. Um, she she got a package that she isn't sure if it's for her or her mom, so she's going to pick it up. Uh, the guy behind the counter, she recognizes him, and he is acting super weird and suspicious and stuttery. When she tries to ask if he went to Rosewood High how, and figure out how she might know him, he bounces and says that he has to... Um, he has to he has to go deliver a package as she opens up she opens up the the thing here right her package and it's just a map seemingly and as she walks along she sees that uh that this this worker has a placard with his name on it it is logan reed we helpfully get a little flashback to show us that logan reed is the character from the season one finale who showed up uh seemingly seemingly in place of ian um to to deliver the money yes and like emily there's like a bit at the beginning of the scene where she says she's not sure if the package is for her or her mom and when she opens the package it looks like it's like a map of like some real estate stuff and so she just kind of figures it's for pam and like shoves it back in the envelope but it's going to be important later also do you think that everyone who works at speed demon express operates in hyper adrenalized reality I don't think that I don't think so because Logan Reed like I can feel like I feel like you can tell that Logan Reed is not actually somebody that Mona hired because he is not good at this whole espionage thing like he crumbles so fast he seems so nervous but I actually really love that because it's like not all minions are created equal you know and so it it totally tracks that like a normal person trying to exist in the realm of all of this spooky stuff, like would not really be very good at it. That is totally true. Uh, Logan Reed is definitely a bottom tier minion. And there are so many, like there are so many different minions that serve different purposes. Even though I've watched the show like many times and I, I get real wrapped up in the mystery. I 
frequently confuse Logan Reed with um, the guy who has the airplane later, Duncan. Duncan. Whatever, whatever his name is. Yeah. So anyway, but this is not airplane guy. This is simply uh, not very good at espionage money courier Logan Reed. And, you know, to his credit, he doesn't come off as like really all that creepy or nefarious. I think he just wanted some cash. Yeah. 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 Um, so Spencer is reading in her room when Veronica comes in with tea and apologies. Spencer is now restored to all the rights of favored daughter as she did not marry a murderer and tried to alert everyone when her sister did. Veronica is impressed that Spencer intervened on Melissa's behalf regarding a funeral for Ian as it's the right thing to do. Also Ren called, which Veronica is more resigned about than mad. And Veronica apologizes for letting a monster into their house. Uh, she and Spencer hug in one of the nicest Veronica parenting moments of the series. Uh, and Veronica also says that she has invited the other girls to come to the funeral to su- support Spencer. So evidently the need for therapy and liars keeping away from each other has died with Ian. Yeah, I guess so. I guess they're just they're back on now. Yeah, I love this scene. I had totally forgotten about it. And uh, I feel like I, I like when Veronica gets to be like a good parent because it happens so rarely (laughs) it's true it's true uh the hastings are pretty much a nightmare most of the time but she is uh she is really really good with spencer uh in this scene also it's so interesting that like veronica is so clearly the one who was always calling the shots with all the other parents and this therapy thing like now if veronica says it's off it doesn't matter what dr sullivan thinks it's off like veronica is the one who has all the power in that dynamic totally totally um emily is in her room reading when she suddenly gets an idea um she looks at the suicide note on her tablet and she looks at her phone and we kind of cross cut with uh spencer in her completely darkened bedroom like a creep uh researching engagement rings in the dark she goes from like, uh, you know, like nice engagement rings down to, down to knockoff engagement rings, trying to find, uh, trying to find something to replace the one that A bought from the pawn shop. Um, as she gets, as it seemingly gets like later and later, and she gets more and more frustrated, she gets an A text saying uh, that she has to fess up about the ring, or else it might show up at an inopportune time. Uh, I also feel like, to your point about foreshadowing, this kind of feels like a foreshadowing of in season four when Spencer is on her study aid pills and is like furiously researching Ezra all night long. Yes, yes, I do. I do agree. This is definitely like um, a a preview for Spencer being in a pretty manic state. Um, And also, I, I like that the text that she gets from A starts off with, would mommy hug a thief? Um, tell the truth, Spencer, that ring will turn up when you least expect it. And I like that the reference to Spencer as a thief for stealing that ring is a connective bond between Spencer, Mona, who's sending the text message, and Hannah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very true. Good point. Good point. Um, Then a hooded figure approaches the darkened De Laurentiis house and prepares to smash the window of the front door. Jason unexpectedly swings the door open and apprehends the would-be intruder. Next, we see the front door of the Montgomery house swinging open as Jason returns Mike Montgomery 
Rosewood's local smash and grabber to his struggling single mother, Aria. <laughs> she tries to speak to the wayward youth, but he ignores her as he stomps upstairs. She thanks Jason for not calling the police, and he suggests she doesn't need to take any other action. Mike knows he's been busted. They share a few smoldering looks, and then Aria closes the door, leaving Jason to stand on the doorstep, wondering where exactly he lives again. <laughs> Because, as we know, he's been high for 10 years. Um, <laughs> and has no memory of anything <laughs> other than the pink streaks. Um, I do really like how Lucy Hale plays this scene because when she opens the door and she first sees Jason, her face kind of lights up. And then she sees Mike and it's like, oh, this kid again. Uh, but I also really like when they're talking about, uh, when Jason and Arya are talking about this, she says, um she starts to say you know mike's never done anything like this before and the sentence literally like dies on her lips halfway through as she's clearly realizing that he maybe has been like the rosewood prowler oh i do not think she realizes that here i think that she yeah i think that she is at this point thinking uh this is like a weird isolated instance um and then and then like discovers more stuff later but uh yeah i like this scene a lot i think that she and uh the actor who plays jason i think they actually have pretty good pretty good chemistry together uh in their various scenes drew van acker which sounds like such a soap opera name. it does it does i wanted to say that that was his name and then i was like i think i might have made that up but no that is his real name so yes lucy hale has very good chemistry with uh, this particular jason head well, uh, not to put Lucy Hale on blast, but I think that I had heard at one point that she was like totally like in love with Drew Van Acker on Ooh. the set of PLL and like maybe wrote a song about him. I don't know. I don't want to spread rumors, but um, that was like a very specific, that was a very specific rumor. I feel like I had heard that, that like she had released a single around this time and later revealed that it was about him. I don't know. Whoa. Okay. Um, well- we're definitely going to have to research that. Before. <laughs> yes. If if any of our listeners are like aware of this extremely uh, specific piece of gossip, please email us uh, to to clarify or, or like with a link to the song or whatever. Oh, <laughs> so no. Oh my goodness. Um, huh. <laughs> uh, in Emily's bedroom, she is piecing together the suicide note from old A texts. Um, it was here that it occurred to me, has anybody done any, like, rudimentary handwriting analysis on the suicide note? Because this is, like, this handwriting, I feel like, is the A handwriting that we'll come to know. But it doesn't seem like anybody at any point was like, hey, that's not Ian's handwriting. No, I don't think anyone has. But, I mean, the Rosewood police also, like, don't do DNA tests on dead bodies. So, true, you know, they're they're operating on a pretty low level. <laughs> And I suppose that maybe, well, no, Ian was dead. So I was going to say that maybe A could have forced Ian to write the suicide note, but I don't know. You'd think that Melissa, who saw the note, would have maybe recognized whether or not it was his handwriting, but guess not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I'll say about Emily alone in the bedroom, uh, and I agree that this is a very good Emily episode, but we have seen Spencer constantly in scenes by herself in the Hastings house, like sneaking up and downstairs and being various degrees of creeped out. And we also saw Aria alone waiting for Fitz 
uh, to return to his adult male love nest recently. And I feel like it is interesting how much Shay actually does need other characters in a scene to hold it down at this point in the show. Hmm. Hmm. In terms of that, you feel like these scenes of her alone are less dynamic. I, I do. I do. Yeah. 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 I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, but Caleb, uh, Hannah approaches Caleb at his locker to apologize for him witnessing her and her mom acting out a full on chick flick the other day. Uh, to which I say, oh, please, I would bet $100 that Caleb loves chick flicks. He seems like a Steel Magnolias guy to me. Um, but <laughs> he tells Hannah she's lucky. All his foster mom cares about is cashing the checks. Hannah asks why she's still getting money if Caleb is bottom bunking over at Lucas's house. And Caleb says all she wants is for him to show up for the child services visits so that she can keep the money and then he's free to do whatever he wants. I'm just going to interject here to say that PLL plots consistently indicate that the following things are bad, therapy, foster parents, and adoptions. And just for the record, I would say all of these things are mostly good. <laughs> yes, yes, fair. Um, and he says, he has this line about it's, you know, this foster home is not really all that bad. Eat, pray, love can quickly become drink, snap, slap mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. poor caleb oh man uh then in the world of things that are not good emily is bursting into class with the reveal about the suicide note being planted by a the other liars are incredulous at emily's discovery which she credits to watching wheel of fortune since she was three is vanna white emily's root <laughs> mystery for another time she tells the other liars that she knows where logan reed works and they need more answers yeah, and they do this totally normal thing of, like, hunching over in the back of the classroom to read aloud a suicide note. <laughs> Nothing to see here, fellow Rosewood High students. <laughs> um, Emily, who is coming in at an 11 in a lot of these scenes, arrives back at the Speed Demon Express to corner an extremely stressed-out-seeming Logan Reed. Um, he says that a woman hired him. Logan never met Ian. Uh, when Emily asks some questions about, you know, how old he thought the woman was, Logan Reed kind of hilariously snaps, I don't know how to describe voices. <laughs> he is not a good minion, and he quickly tries to exit out of this conversation. Um, back at school, I feel like there's a lot of really short scenes. Um, back at school, Hannah overhears Caleb's terrible foster mother berating him um, and also hears him in this conversation drop the information that he once went four days without a meal yes uh for the scene in in the speed demon express i really love the way that emily just storms in there and she is clearly channeling pam fields wanting to speak to a manager like she has like she just has that vibe about her uh also before emily can she's like i just want to ask you a few questions and before she asks even one question, he just like spews out all that information. She <laughs> did not ask him anything. And he just started singing like a canary. Uh, the only question she asked her, like, you know, would he, what about the voice? And he's like, I don't know how to describe voices. I'm just a, <laughs> I'm just a guy working at the Speed Demon Express trying to make my way in the world as well as I can. Um, so that is totally silly. Um, 
Although note that he does say he might recognize the voice if he heard it again. And then for Hannah and, and Caleb in their scene in the hallway here, um, I, it's so funny what the show is doing here. Like Janet, his foster mom is at school because the school has apparently called her in to fill out some forms or do some type of rom-com green card interview where not knowing things about Caleb <laughs> is going to be like is going to be bad for her. Um, so you know, there there's that. That's why he reveals about how he likes kung fu movies and did go four days without being fed. <laughs> yes, like Caleb and Janet are just enacting, you know, the first half of that movie, the proposal, yeah. like in in Hacker's office, yeah, Hackett's yeah, office. Exactly. Um, and also, I, I love this shot of Hannah hiding behind the wall, hatching a plan. There are some. I love Hannah in this episode. There are some really good shots of her, and I feel like that's definitely one. Um, then in the courtyard. Arya corners Mike, who has apparently been avoiding her despite his bedroom being directly across the hall. She wants to know why he broke into that house. What was he looking for? Nothing. He was bored. Arya doesn't buy it uh, that he would commit a felony out of a sense of ennui. He says he didn't even take anything. And if it's that big a deal, he'll give Emily's junky camping gear back, which this is why I think Arya did not connect the dots before um aria seems like shocked like she's only now putting it together that he's also the garage burglar who broke into emily's then it dawns on her that he is also the hastings house perp who body checked her into a table and lamp which he says he felt bad about he just panicked aria (laughs) really sums up the montgomery like moral worldview here when she says what do you have against me and my friends? Couldn't you just have broken into some stranger's house? <laughs> like, that's what's really wrong here. And I love that Mike's response is, I did. <laughs> He's been breaking into, he's like, I've broken into every house in Rosewood <laughs> twice. I broke into our house when you had my keys and I was locked out. Like, <laughs> Oh my! Like Arya's, like I mean, if you're gonna break into houses, just just don't break into these five. Like that's her that's her reasonable compromise here, which I think that um, I think she might be just a little bit out of her depth. Um, Mike promises he won't do it again and asks her not to tell. Uh, then he drops the Montgomery marriage threat unless you want mom and dad to start fighting again. I'm just going to put in another small PLL PSA here. Most humans are pretty conflict averse. We'll go to significant lengths to avoid uncomfortable conversations, confrontations, or arguments. But an argument is not the worst thing in the world, nor is an awkward conversation. The fact that Arya falls for this is a testament to how badly her parents have modeled relationship dynamics for their children. Very true. Very true. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of um, comedies like circling the periphery of this episode. We've got the uh, the the Caleb the Caleb rom com. We've got Logan Reed's like comedy of errors of him trying to keep track how to be a minion. I also feel like we have kind of some kind of like a slapsticky movie where Mike is just like breaking into homes and body checking people and like stealing things that he doesn't even need. <laughs> Well, yeah, I I just feel like Arya is just like, 
what do you mean you broke into Emily's house? Wait, did you break into Spencer's house? Wait, why are you breaking into all of my friends' houses? Can't you just break into random people's homes? He's like, I did that too. Like the the escalation of that scene is really great. And Lucy Hale has a real, like a real feel for comedy, I think. And so she's just really like, she's just so, so great in that scene. And also, I feel like uh, when I was talking about the relationship dynamics, like Arya and Mike do not have the secure feeling uh, that two people can fight with each other and still love each other at the end. Like they definitely seem to feel like mm-hmm. their parents fighting equals like everything is gonna everything is gonna fall apart. Like their parents might not love each other, they might not love them, and this is really like just a testament to like the fucked up dynamics in byron montgomery's household totally agree totally agree yeah but i also agree that i do think lucy hale is like an underrated comedic genius in this show i mean lest we forget one of my favorite aria moments of season one we need to talk (laughs) well you know also i feel like um i mean all of the liars are extremely well cast like the casting of the show i think is a large part of how it stayed on the air for so long um especially when the writing got weak i feel like having these actresses in these roles really went a long way towards selling things but Lucy Hale in particular, because I think in the hands of a lesser actress, Arya's role could be really kind of annoying, but Lucy Hale just really, um, Lucy Hale really gives it a stamp that is, uh, it it makes Arya enjoyable in spite of a lot of other things. Yeah, she, she brings in this, like, this manic kind of energy to it that isn't, I feel like isn't always on the page, but like, just makes Arya so much fun. Does. Uh, even even when she's having to say like terrible lines and, and share terrible scenes with Prezra. And I will say, I will say, I, I think that um, for all that we bag on Prezra, I do think Ian Harding does a really great job with that character, making him just as smarmy, but also charming in a way that I, I think really hits the right notes. It does. Um, do you want me to take the Hastings so that you can talk about the Marins? Oh, sure. At the Hastings, sure. Melissa's doing a thousand yard stare as Spencer comes in and tries to start a conversation about how she was really hurt when Melissa chose Ian over her. Uh, if what she's working towards here was a ring confession, I think she should have opened with that. But whatever she was going to say, she's cut off by Veronica asking her to set the table and Melissa's complete lack of a response as she just sits on the couch and cradles her fake pregnancy pillow. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about the the Hastings sister dynamic in this episode is that I feel like you could almost read it that they're playing sort of a game of chicken about revealing that Spencer might have killed Allison. Like, even though that's not the thing that Spencer's planning to admit here, I do think that that's the thing that Melissa's planning on talking about later. We'll get to it. And so I feel like the way that Spencer sets this up she could be about to say something really awful. She even could be about to admit that she killed yeah. Ian. Um, the way that she says, no, I was really jealous. And the way that Veronica, like, comes running in from, like, who knows where she was in the house to just, like, yeah. cut off whatever is about to happen. <ess- <laughs> yes, yes. Time to set the table for dinner. Also, where is the Hastings dining room? I don't think I don't we've think- ever 
I don't know if we ever And also, it. for all that the Hastings are like the richest of the families, their living room is really dumpy. We get a lot of shots of depressed Hastings sitting on the couch, and this is just not a nice living room to do it in, I feel. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too open. Like, there's no place to hide. Um, over at the Marin house, Hannah, this is a classic Hannah moment, she walks in in this fabulous red dress. Um, that Ashley very quickly mixes for the funeral, uh, wisely noting that it's a funeral, not a Nicki Minaj concert, and Hannah is not allowed to dance on Ian's grave. I had, this is another scene I had forgotten, Hannah brings up her grandfather's funeral, you know, she asks if, um, if this is what it was like at, at her grandfather's funeral. Ashley says she wouldn't know, she didn't go to her father's funeral, when Hannah asks how Ashley knows that he had a funeral, Ashley was the one who paid for it. She had to spread it out over a few credit cards. And we get this scene where Ashley talks about her past. Uh, she talks about how she left home at 17. She would have left sooner if she could, but freedom costs and there are some things you can't put on a credit card. Uh, and this is one of those PLL moments that it adds so much, even though it's not, you know, Ashley's past is not going to be a big point in the mystery. Um, but it, it, it's re it really helps inform her character and some of the choices that Hannah will make later. Yeah, I love this scene between the two of them. And I think it's especially nice because it is clearly Hannah drawing a line between her mom's upbringing and Caleb's situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also having a moment of gratitude, I think, for the fact that, you know, she might have some some feelings about her dad, but she's got this one really solid parent. Well, and I feel like um, Ashley is willing to open up to Hannah about her past in a way that I don't think any of the other liar parents would be. I think it's kind of in the Hastings house. Certainly the past is a pretty charged and verboten uh, topic. Uh, and I, I just think that in the Montgomery household, you know, you can't really talk about Byron's affair. There are all these things in the other liar houses that are like not topics that they're going to want to discuss. Whereas Ashley, it, like her relationship with Hannah um, is, is just based much more on the two of them having a lot of open, honest communication. Right. Because it's clear in this scene, like, Hannah knows a lot. It's not like Ashley is filling in all that much about the story. It's clear that Hannah knows a lot of the story, but she's she's asking for more information about this particular topic. <laughs> so she, she's already been told some version of what happened in Ashley. Yeah. What is your assumption? Like, I mean, I feel like it's definitely um, it's definitely implied that her her father was abusive. Whether it was, you know, that he was a mean drunk or whether it's that he was like sexually inappropriate with with her or other young women like do you think there is like a specific thing that we're meant to think here or do you think they're just leaving it open-ended um you know i feel like my first impulse is to say that it was sexual abuse but i also feel like have we just been so conditioned by media to think that like when a woman has a tragic past she must have been sexually abused um so I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think some kind of, of physical abuse, definitely. Um, and presumably that her mother was either like not really in the picture or not really up to the task of um, 
you know, if, if her mother was being abused or if her mother was not able to be there for Ashley in some way. Uh, we don't know if there were siblings. I kind of assume not. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that we're meant to think that there was it was definitely an abusive home and that Ashley was so eager to get out of it. I feel like her um, her remark about his like whatever live in girlfriend he had at the time. Um, I definitely feel like that remark kind of made me think that maybe like and just the way the show that PLL is that maybe uh, her dad also had kind of a young girl uh, an interest in young girls in the way that a lot of these uh, pedophile men who are creeping around what Rose would do and just that that like explains why Ashley seems to have a better radar for these things than a lot of the other parents do but yeah, it's definitely open but I feel like this is one of the more um, explicit conversations that we get about Ashley's past. I agree I agree and I had, and I didn't realize that we had gotten that so I'm really happy that we do. <sighs> It's time! It's time! Funeral drama, funeral outfits, the two best events in Rosewood, masked balls and funerals. I'm honestly surprised that they have never combined the two. Um, shall we start with the outfits? Yes. Um, yes. So Hannah and Aria both have a fair amount of cleavage on display in their low-cut little black dresses, which I think Ian would like. Um, but Hannah is also wearing a black feather fascinator and veil combination that makes her look like she might also be cosplaying a drunk flapper at a jazz age party and or Mrs. White from the movie Clue. Uh, she gets my vote for best runway. Spencer, on the other hand, looks a smidge Victorian, and she's very pale, so this look has sort of a, you know, uh, Lucy Restenra right before she becomes a vampire vibe, plus she's wearing a black ribbon choker around her neck, which is the fashion choice of decapitated women in gothic horror stories everywhere, and is almost definitely cursed. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Spencer looks a little bit like she just walked out of the craft. <laughs> like, especially because her hair is very kind of tangly and like, yeah, yeah. Um, Emily, I feel like has the most subtle outfit, although uh, there, I, at some point, I think there's a wide shot where you see her dress has like these big kind of like neonish like zigzags on the bottom. Yeah, and it really hugs her curves and is quite short. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, Aria is probably the most appropriately dressed. Which is shocking. I mean, that Aria is yes. really going for a change when you least expect it type of vibe here because she is like, she is the most conservatively dressed. Her earrings are even a little more subdued than normal. So yeah, Aria definitely, although as I said, her dress is, um, it is pretty low cut. She is Still, and, and like, I mean, any of these women could go from the funeral to a club uh, and, and be fine with, I mean, Spencer might be going to a vampire club, but that's like, you know, you do use Spencer Hastings. Uh, but yeah, Aria definitely seems to have like the funeral look that your grandmother would be least scandalized by. Do we think that Hannah got her um, old-timey fascinator from uh, from Shauna's costume shop? <laughs> Very possibly. 
I want that oh, scene. Oh, I want that Mona. Part. Mona might have like swung by before the funeral and like just kind of, oh, here, Hannah, this is the perfect touch. Yes. And then like helped make sure that Hannah's cleavage was appropriate. Yeah. And then like, was planning to uh, swing by later to help Hannah unzip that dress, but was, was maybe foiled. So. Yeah, you know, I have to say, this episode is so great, and yet no Mona, Allison, or Jenna. Yeah. Kind of shocking. Kind of shocking. Um, the, the liars are, you know, they're coming into the church. Everything is rather subdued. And uh, Hannah has kind of a morose line right off the bat. The bell is ringing, and she goes, who's ringing it this time? <laughs> Hannah, <laughs> you are in a church at a funeral. Um, and, um, uh, when Spencer shows up, she's very grateful that the other liars are there. Um, they talk about the fact that, uh, the cops are there to, to hopefully keep the angry mobs at bay. Um, and when Spencer kind of wants to go back to her family, we have this great Emily Spencer interaction where they, uh, they talk about the fact that, you know, Emily wants to keep working on the mystery, uh, Spencer remarks, maybe we are obsessed and maybe that's what A wants. And uh, Emily says, don't you want to know the truth? Don't we owe that to Allison? And, when, and Spencer replies, it's not going to bring her back. Nothing that we do is going to bring her back. And I feel like this is such a great character note for both of them uh, that, uh, you know, as we were talking about earlier, Allison's, Al- Allison's death is like activating the mystery for Emily in this really powerful way. And Spencer is so exhausted by all of this, and she just wants a moment to come up for air. Yeah, this was the scene where where I made the note, like, this is the first time we really see Spencer wanting to put the mantle of leadership down. Uh, but, you know, this is a moment where Spencer Hastings wants to stop being Spencer Hastings, but no one else is going to show up for the job because Emily is showing that she can be the leader of the mystery investigation. But Emily, like... At this point in the sh- in the show, can't do it on her own. She still wants to pull Spencer in and get Spencer involved. And Spencer just is is pretty brutal about the fact that like no, she can't do this right now. Um, it's just too hard. And I feel like when Spencer says nothing is going to bring Allison back, the curse of Cassandra was that she always predicted the future correctly and no one believed her. Spencer Hastings has the reverse situation. She's consistently coming to incorrect conclusions that her friends do not peer review appropriately because, of course, they are going to get Allison back in just a few short seasons from now. Right, right. Um, but, but, you know sometimes dead is better um gosh um prezra waltzes into the funeral and aria waves only to see him be intercepted by her parents he stammers about realizing it was important to be at the funeral to support the students who he is no longer teaching and who except for the liars are not here uh, and it just, it all sounds so ridiculous that I'm sure Byron, at least, thinks he's there to pick up any grieving teenage girlfriends Ian may have left behind. That or Byron might be angling for a post-funeral thruple because he is very quick to invite Prezra into the pew. And I feel like um, the first time I watched the scene, the blocking of it almost makes it looks like, look like he grabs Prezra by the hand and pulls him yeah the yeah there is definitely byron is definitely sending out some vibes here 
Yes. Um, a really great song starts playing as uh, Emily pulls Garrett aside. Garrett is so obviously suspicious here, but unfortunately, Emily does not have great radar for that. She says that she doesn't know who else to tell, so she's going to tell him that Logan Reed was hired by a woman, um, and and uh, she wants to basically figure out who hired him. Uh, Garrett says that he'll try to figure out who this woman was. Uh, you know, they really should have just asked Logan Reed, does she sound like a spooky witch? Because then they would know... <laughs> It was Jenna Marshall. Did she start hissing halfway through the call? Did she sound blind? Did she sound <laughs> like she was wearing all black? Please, please advise yes or no. <laughs> Did you hear any tap, tap, taps through the phone? Was there a music box or a flute or a snow globe that you heard in the background? He's like, yes, she was sounded a- blind and I heard a snow globe. <laughs> They're like, case closed. <laughs> was there the sound of a pottery wheel <laughs> ominously spinning in the distance? Uh, oh, oh my goodness. Uh, um, well, you know, another thing that they could have asked Logan Reed if they were actually asking him any questions is like, what happened after Garrett got you? Like, why are you still walking free? What did the police ask you? Because that would have pretty quickly yielded the fact that like, he probably didn't get arrested. He didn't go to the jail. He didn't get processed. Garrett just talked to him and then let him go, which could up your suspicions if you were, you know, doing an actual investigation on what happened with this guy. Yeah, you know, I had never really thought about this before, but I feel like Garrett feels a little like a dry run of Cousin Nate in terms of this guy that is so clearly, like, working against them and yet inexplicably the liars and emily in particular are just like trusting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i would definitely agree with that um but next thing we know we are at the grave site and sad music is playing over the scene as we see the liars tossing clods of dirt on the coffin and then making the gesture of wiping the dirt from their hands to be done with all of this uh the music and the shots in this scene are both beautiful and oddly mournful which is a weird choice because ian is clearly a bad guy but i feel like this funeral is shot to seem sadder than a lot of other funerals on the show including jessica's mona's and charlotte's i totally agree um i think uh the lyrics i wish that i had pulled what the name of the song was but i feel like the lyrics are something about like maybe we can finally like leave this in the past or have a fresh start or something like that uh, and I feel like the um, maybe there's a way in which they feel like they're mourning Allison here because they're finally burying her killer. Uh, I don't I don't know that that could be or that they're mourning the, you know, the girls they once were before they believe Ian basically came in and ruined their lives. I really did want Aria to do the sh- gesture at the end of this. That would have been a great little note. Um, also, why are the liars front and center in this funeral? Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> well, because no one else wanted anything to do with it, and they're the happiest that he's dead, apparently. So they get like places of honor. Um, Arya catches sight of uh, Jason sitting on a bench at a distance from the crowd. Emily stands next to her, and they talk about spitting on Ian's grave slash closure. Emily sees Arya staring at Jason and gives her the old Jason is a freak and creepy. Don't trust him. 
which is sad because I'm really a fan of the De Laurentiis siblings rediscovering their bond by Emily marrying Allison and Aria ending up with Jason. So. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I feel like I've read uh, so much of your fic where Emily and Jason are like allies that it was really <laughs> shocking to me to have them, to have Emily speaking so poorly about Jason here. But this really does feel like, um, you know, Emily in season one talking about Caleb, that new kid. I heard he's sketchy. <laughs> he sells like, he sells ringtones to people. Oh, goodness. Um, but I also feel like probably part of the reason why Emily might be especially anti-Jason is that she was probably most willing to listen to Allison when she would say, you know, all sorts of things about That's him. a great point. Um, Ezra calls uh, for Aria saying that this wasn't the right place or the right time to come clean. I guess Aria wanted him to like... <laughs> tell her parents right then and there it is a terrible time when I have to side with Prezra <laughs> but I have to side with Prezra here this was not a good time um, but really no time would be a good time uh, Arya says that she needed a hug from him today Prezra says that he'll call her later um, Jason would hug you Arya and maybe awkwardly smell your hair while he um, well I, I feel like it's super weird that uh, Prezra is willing to make out with her face in the school parking lot, but not to hug her at this funeral. Um, but yeah, it is a rough episode for Z and Pookie Bear. <laughs> but as soon as, uh, yeah, as soon as uh, Fitz walks away after they have their little graveside spat, uh, he leaves and Arya walks straight over to Jason. Yep. Um, Hannah at school for some reason after the funeral still in her tight funeral dress having removed her fascinator uh, spot, spots Janet and calls out to her uh, she says that the deal has to stop uh, that Janet has to give Caleb his money until he is 18 and she points to her mom who's on the phone and over, uh, over on the other side of the door and says that her mom is a lawyer at the firm of Dolce Gabbana and Leibowitz Hannah you are the best uh, she, she, Janet kind of walks away without saying anything, but Hannah smiles at herself, clearly very pleased, uh, and feeling like she, she did it. Yeah. Hannah has, uh, she also says that, uh, if, if Janet does not do her bidding and Hannah is really very good, the, the locker slam of intimidation and then threatening that Ashley is going to go all Aaron Brockovich on Janet's ass, um, that it's a, it's a good, good Hannah scene. One of, uh, it might be one of Hannah's like top 10 in the whole show, which is saying a lot. It is. It is a great scene. Yeah. You're totally right. That Hannah is awesome. In this <laughs> I, I like what you were saying too. the, the shot of Hannah just standing there looking extremely pleased with herself as Janet like slinks away. Um, also good. good. I, the actress who plays Janet, I don't think we ever see her again, but uh, she's, she's great here. She kind of walks around just always like having this like, possibly drunken possibly just surly kind of sneer on her face she does good work i also feel like that self-satisfied grin reminds me slightly of um when hannah and emily do the dance and hannah has the moment where she does the whole like breakdown on the floor and then right after she has that moment where she's like yeah nailed it which is such a great Hannah moment. Yeah, I, I love moments of Hannah being this pleased with herself. And that's definitely one, too. Uh, 
Um, in the cemetery, J- uh, Arya goes to sit by Jason. They talk about her brother, how Allie was always threatening to turn Jason in, but never did. Uh, how Allie was fearless and he was jealous. And his parents can't even look at him now because they seem to know that they lost the wrong kid. And Arya assures him that's not true. He admits it's a relief to know that Ian killed Allison. It's a relief to know that he himself is innocent. He tells Arya again about his memento-like inability to remember anything about that night, the summer, his whole life, and shows her a note that was left in his pocket when he woke up with a wicked hangover the next morning. It says, I know what you did. Has he run over a hook-handed man while in a car with Jennifer Love Hewitt recently? Just checking. No, he is merely introducing one of the ultimate nonsense plot points in the history of this show. Uh, But as he does, Arya gets worried since she knows Ian did not really confess. So it is somewhat of an open question of whether Jason could still be the killer. But I really like the scene between Arya and Jason. I feel like their conversations are about actual things, which is different from the conversations that she has with Prezra, which are mostly about like how secrets should their secret relationship be and complications about them having this secret relationship. Like when she says that she feels like she still doesn't know Prezra, well, that's because there's a lot he's not telling you about his history, about his background, about, you know, whatever. Jason, who can't remember like but two things about his past, is nonetheless much more willing to discuss it with Arya. Right, yes. Jason is literally telling you everything that he can remember about his past. Um, Also, I like the uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer call out because I believe that Tori DeVito, who plays Melissa, was in one of those. Yes, I believe you are correct. Yeah. Um, Yes, yes. Jason is, Jason, much like, you know, half of his siblings, actually much like pretty much all of his siblings, thinks that he might have killed Allison. Yeah. Kind of a kind of a family trait. Um, over at speaking of the Hastings, over at the house of Hastings, Melissa is sitting by the fire. Uh, Spencer Spencer says that she'll be back, um, and Melissa says her first words of the episode when she reveals that it's a girl. Spencer comes over to congratulate her, and Melissa pretty quickly apologizes for choosing Ian over Spencer. She says that finding out he wasn't who he thought, who she thought he was, is like losing him twice. She admits that uh, that she lied a bunch to the police and to their family because she thought that she was protecting an innocent man. Spencer is about to um, admit about the ring when Melissa starts to admit about something. We can probably guess that it's uh, the fact that. Um, Well, it it could be a number of things. It could be the fact that she thinks that Spencer killed Allison. It could be the fact that she knew that Ian and Allison were in a relationship before Allison died. Uh, You know, could be a lot of different things. Could be the fact that she had a clandestine relationship with Charlotte de Laurentiis. That Um, was what, yeah, I I felt like I really wanted it to be (laughs) her her true love for C.C. Drake. But unfortunately, they were interrupted by that phone call, so... Yes, yes. Uh, a phone starts ringing. Uh, Spencer kind of, in, in surprise, pulls this phone out of her bag. It is Ian's phone. Melissa very quickly jumps to the conclusion that Spencer was sending her the texts. She says that Spencer must really hate her. She throws 
the phone destroying it uh, and says that she will never forgive Spencer because Melissa knew that Ian was dead right two weeks ago yes or a week yes ago. um also I just checked it out on IMDB and uh the actress who plays Melissa was in I'll always know what you did last summer, which is in fact the third sequel that doesn't even have Jennifer Love Hewitt in, in, in it anymore. So it's like it's a ways down. But yeah, she was she was a lead in in that particular movie. <laughs> oh, good, good for her. Um. So yeah, there there's this whole dust up the <coughs> Hastings sisters. Uh, this is like it's so like this is what a does a make spencer look over here regarding right. the whole engagement ring situation and then like spencer like the ring could have been planted back in her bag too like she she's sure. um you know and and so the phone really takes her off guard um we next move into ella who is washing and folding clothes when reasonable man byron montgomery wants her to stop processing this tragedy with her womanly ways of housework she should come downstairs and get drunk with him that's much better ella is thrown that ian was a coach at their children's school he seemed like a nice guy she used to say hi to him in the teacher's lounge and as she looks at her duplicitous philandering husband she says she guesses they see what they want to see so true and to prove the point mike comes out of his room dressed in his night burglar clothes and says he's going out he then asks ella to stop washing his sweats he smells like a candle and doesn't want the police to id him based on his laundry fresh scent <laughs> yeah I, I really like this as a note for ella's character um i feel like there's a couple sort of subtle fits shout outs in this scene too because Byron, you know, he, he delights in suggesting wine, scotch, absinthe, which, as we know um, from an earlier episode, Fitz enjoyed absinthe during his, you know, many travels. Um, but also Ella saying, you know, he seemed like a nice guy. I used to say hi to him in the teacher's lounge. He was a teacher at our children's school. All things that could be said about one Mr. Ezra Fitz. Indeed. And I think that what Ella is getting at here is that monsters don't always look monstrous. And that's true. Even though your husband, who's a monster, looks kind of like a lizard man, uh, they, might, they might look less monstrous than you think. So uh, that, that's a nice shout out. And it's nice to see one of the moms having a moment of realizing this, even though this realization is going to be pretty worthless uh, in terms of Ella's future decision making. True, true. Um, back at the Speed Demon Express, where poor Logan Reed, maybe he just lives in the air vents there, um, he <laughs> receives a satchel of cash from Garrett, who is trying to seem like a big bad boy here, but mostly just seems like a, you know, like he's playing dress up. Um, as Logan Reed walks away, Garrett calls Jenna. Yeah, this is like Garrett trying to be menacing, but just looking like the large adult son. Like, this is... Uh... <laughs> he's like you better not come back <laughs> or, you know it's not very good uh presumably this is the ten thousand uh, dollar blackmail payment that ian had arranged and that garrett never turned over as evidence so uh officer smiley here strikes again yeah um at the marins hannah can't unzip her dress 
and sees that Ashley has uh, left to go shop for food, which, you know, per a previous scene with Caleb, they have none of in the home. Uh, but then at the back door is Caleb bringing ice and takeout food. Uh, and then Hannah has a great line. When rappers brag about showering their ladies with ice, they mean something else. <laughs> but he is there to check on her uh, because he knows the funeral was today. And he is not her boyfriend at the start of this scene, but he is being a better boyfriend than anyone else on this show. Spencer is unraveling and Toby, her safe place to land, is like nowhere to be seen. Um, you know, we, we haven't seen hide nor hair of him. Uh, Prezra has tried to help by inserting himself into the funeral and then making Arya more mad at him. Um, you know, Jason as a pseudo boyfriend is being a little bit better, but he's also burdening Arya with the fact that he may or may not have murdered his sister. Not sure. Um, so Caleb, um, Caleb, who's really just interested in kind of seeing if Hannah's okay and taking care of her head and shoulders above the rest um he tells her that janet gave him an envelope full of money out of nowhere and then he kisses her on the forehead and mentions dolce gabbana and Leibowitz," <laughs> because like if there was any doubt who would intervene for him that that particular name would have really um been hannah's calling card uh they laugh and he gets ready to go as he needs to go home and watch goonies with lucas but hannah stops him at the door and they kiss Caleb is back. They don't get a spin camera, but they do get a zoom in shot. Yeah, this is a great scene. I think this is like peak sweet Caleb. And I really feel like they have done a good job of kind of um, rebuilding this. Even though I didn't love them last episode, I feel like overall they've done a pretty good job of rebuilding this relationship dynamic um, in a better way than they will as the series goes on. Also like, lol at lucas you know making caleb his bottom bunk boyfriend come home and watch goonies with him yeah this is one moment where i feel like lucas would have a right to like the anger that he carries around with him the whole time that caleb is ditching their goonies marathon to make out with lucas's dream girl hannah Marin. Yes. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, somewhere Lucas and Mona are just like both of their heads are exploding in rage. Yeah. Yeah. This is where um, Mona may have intended to come over and help Hannah with that stuck zipper until, gosh darn it, Caleb Rivers showed up at the back door uh, with his takeout food and his bag of ice. I know. Uh, Emily arrives home or, or is at her home and uh, is, is sort of looking at, she has the map. Um, from the back of the program of the funeral plots, and she has the map uh, that she got earlier in the day from the Speed Demon Express. And then she receives a text from A um, saying, what, the fastest, sometimes the fastest way around is to go from point A to point B, something like uh, that? Yeah, it's like um, sometimes the shortest distance between two points is the long way around. It's nonsense, but what she wants is for Emily to compare the map of the graveyard with the map of the real estate that was sent earlier in the speed demon package. Yes. Uh, she cross-references the two maps and, uh, and then we cut to the graveyard where the liars are sneaking around. They have some dialogue about, you know, being, um, being teenagers sleep, sneaking around in a graveyard, how very Stephen King of them. Uh, Emily theorizes that a set them up with the whole uh, Ian death Thing, that all of the information that they had um, 
relating to the idea that Ian was Allison's killer, you know, the kissing rock video, the missing tree is all stuff that a gave them. And that, you know, a never gives something without taking something away. Spencer, who has recently felt the wrath of a uh, re the Ian cell phone agrees, recognizing that this isn't over and a is still calling the shots and God damn it. It's time to jump back in the driver's seat. Um, as they sneak around in the, um, in the graveyard, they come upon Allison's gravestone, which I thought that Allison was, I didn't think that Allison had a gravestone. I thought that she was in the mausoleum. Oh, later she's in the mausoleum. Once they find her body again on, on the Halloween train. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Cause that's she's, harder to. She's in the grave to... and then she gets dug up from the grave. That's right. But it's actually Bethany it's, Young. It's right? hard to keep track of. <laughs> I know, but yes, at this time, she does have a gravestone, and this is it. There are a lot of dead blonde girls' (laughs) bodies floating around this series, you know? Uh, It's hard to keep track. Um, So, no sooner have they come upon Allison's gravestone than the Kissing Rock video is projected um, onto, uh, like... I, I don't know if this is like, it, that might be a mausoleum that it's being, I'm not sure what, it's like a big, one of those big fancy graves for very, very rich people. Um, and it, it's, uh, yeah, this whole video is being projected, but this time they're getting part two, where it's revealed that once Allison fell down on the ground, she was just playing around. She was actually totally alive. And uh, Ian left her there. Yes. So, bum, 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 Ian is not the killer yes and i love how hannah immediately grips emily's arm uh in this moment i feel like emily is like hannah's hannah's uh physical touchstone in these in these scary moments yeah and hannah also uh was already unhappy about being in the graveyard because she protested that she stepped in something squishy (laughs) which (laughs) hannah you're just don't never change never change hannah marin um I, I really love uh there are a lot of things uh allison's gravestone says beloved daughter trusted friend it is a fearful thing to love what death can touch well no fear death has not touched allison nor will it for many more uh many more seasons uh also i think it's hilarious how many a text messages went just to Emily in this episode. Like Mona was clearly auditioning Emily for the role of more of a leader since Spencer wasn't biting. Um, so like, I feel like if it had been Spencer, as soon as she saw the program for Ian's funeral with that map of the graveyard on the back, she would have been cross-referencing it with the other map that she had gotten in this episode. But like Emily is not that person. So Mona had to like... <laughs> Mona had to like push her. Mona was giving her like a Cliff Notes version uh, of of solving the mystery in this episode. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Um, yeah, an expedited an expedited track there. Yes. Oh, but so then the A tag is the liars uh, mounting a futile search for where this projector, which is like projecting. It's like it's so huge. The image is like on the side of that giant mausoleum. Uh, and the liars like just cannot figure out where the projector could be. Is it in a tree? Is it low to the ground? Is it far away? Is it close by? They're tromping around with their flashlights looking, and we see a ducking behind a tree holding the projector. 
Yes, yes. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So A is clearly very close behind. Yeah. And I will say, I know a lot of times they're just using whoever is around to be the, the person in the hoodie. Uh, something about this particular figure actually does look like Mona to me. So I appreciated that as well. Yeah, yeah. And you know, my goodness, what a lot of work. Like, just hats <laughs> off to Mona here. Like, this is... This is, a, this is a terrible amount of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I like that she's keeping the projector for future use. Like she could have just, she could have just left it. Because <laughs> finding the projector is like no guarantee that they're going to find A. But, uh, you know, she probably wants to return it to like the AV club or whoever she borrowed it from. Maybe Lucas. Oh, yeah, actually, good point. He was probably going to, like, do a whole projector thing with Goonies, and, and Caleb just thwarted his plan. Yeah, yeah, but overall, a really great episode. Um, I like yes. Spencer dealing with, you know, the devil she knows, which is the her sister, also the devil she knows, which is A, and her, like, sort of trying to deny A's importance or existence. Uh, and I like mm -hmm. Emily kind of dealing with the devil of Allison, and also with, like, the the devil of, like, kind of being the heir to Spencer's obsession when Spencer isn't obsessed with it anymore. So I like those elements of it. I also like Mike and Byron sort of being the devils that the Montgomery women know. Um, and, and yeah, it's really, you know, we have like the devil from Ashley's past and, you know, Hannah finding a way mm -hmm. to give Caleb. So there's just a lot going on here metaphorically. There's a lot going on in terms of foreshadowing the rest of the series. All in all, just a really solid episode. Oh, I totally agree. And, you know, I forgot to mention this in one of the earlier Jason scenes, but I really love how this episode plays as um, sort of a precursor to when Jason will be helping troubled teens later in the series. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And I think it's so interesting the way that, um, like, Emily automatically treats Jason with suspicion. And later we're going to see Spencer continue to treat Jason with suspicion. And I just think it's so it's so interesting to watch them do that because of the way that Spencer so often suspects herself and the way that Jason is like unknown at this time, her half sibling. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. It's really, really true. Yeah, this is a great, great episode. Um I don't, what's the, do you know the next episode? Oh, the next episode is Never Letting Go. And <gasps> is it the fashion show? Perfect timing because we have, uh, we just had a fashion show on The Perfectionists and it is going to be the Rosewood Charity Fashion Show with Jessica DeLaurentis back in town. Oh, new, new head Jessica. This is our first appearance oh, yeah. of, of new Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I will say that Veronica, when she's on the phone in this episode, when Spencer comes into that scene, she's telling Jess that everything is, everybody's fine. They're doing as well as they can. And when I heard her say Jess, I was like, is that her husband's mistress calling to con console with her after her son-in-law may have murdered her, you know, daughter and committed suicide? Like, oh my goodness, this town. So yeah, we don't know. Maybe that was a Jessica Veronica phone call in this episode. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that um, I could I could totally see that. I think that uh, I think that um, uh, yeah, just that that seems like a very Allison thing, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. It sure 
sure does. But yeah, so uh, we have another great episode coming up next week. This is going to be our first Liars fashion show after their runway at the funeral this week. I'm really eager uh, to talk about what's going to go on next episode. Me too. Me too. So if you have thoughts on the many devils running around this episode, uh, you can send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. Um, We'd appreciate a rating and review in iTunes. And we look forward to... uh, to, to walk in the runway next week yeah if you or lucy hale have ever written a song about how much you love <laughs> drew van acker please let us know <laughs> okay we will definitely look that up for next week's episode <laughs> until then take care